Welcome everyone, my name is Wim van Kouwenberger, I'm the director of BEMAS, the Belgian Maintenance Society, and we are having a podcast in the framework of our Asset Performance Initiative. We are going to talk about asset management in the AI era, and um, well, I have together with me Mr. Sven Strasburg. Hello Sven, welcome. Hello Wim, thank you, thank you for having me. Well, um, maybe for the listeners that uh, don't know you, uh, maybe you can explain a little bit what is your role at IBM and, yeah. uh, well. What is my role? That's that's always the hardest question of all, I think. We we'll start with a hard one and then we go on from there. So, yeah, what what is my role? So, I'm Sven Strasberg. I'm a solution architect within the European team of uh, IBM. What that basically means is that I um, support each of the regions within Europe from a um, basically a specialist approach. So we have um, pre-sales and sales within each geography looking at enterprise asset management or facility management or engineering solutions. And my role is to give them technical support, but also to um, provide insights and innovations or thought leadership into accounts that are going through transitions, whether that is adopting new maintenance strategies or whether that is looking at how do we do um, asset connectivity in a, in, in, in a constructive or um, strategic way. So that's that's typically what I do. It's, um, it's as I say, a very broad um, remit. I also um, look at uh, sustainability strategies, um, again, from an operational point of view, and um, and, and in general, try to get involved with as many technical challenges that um, a, a production line or an operational space will have. So yes. you often find me crawling under machines and um, in engine rooms and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so um, a lot of people associate uh, IBM with, with IT technology, etc., and, yes. and, and data centers, but that's not always the case, apparently. No, I, I think I think it's very fair to say that um, IBM is clearly known for its uh, IT and its technology uh, delivery into telecommunications and financial services and specifically data centers. And, and it has been doing that for probably 60, 70 years. However, our our history within operational technology goes really much further back than that. Um, the One of the founding companies that formed the the um the core of what we now know as ibm actually was um selling operational um tooling into the rail industry in around the 1890s so we have a lot of experience in that space and we we have been involved in operational technologies and the operational space since that time we we are also manufacturers we we have manufacturing facilities that we run as as any other um, organization would. Uh, we also have um, ENU, well, sorry, um, uh, utility spaces as, as, as well on top of that. So we, we have a very broad church when it comes to what IBM is. Most people know us for one thing. However, we have quite a lot of experience and activities in other areas. So that's, that's something that's uh, concerning IBM's heritage from way back in the 1890s. Well, okay. So before we deep dive uh, into the topic of today, uh, the asset management in the AI mm-hmm. era, um, mm-hmm. l- let me take the opportunity to just explain to our listeners uh, 
what is the uh, what what is our uh, conference about uh, so um well we're having the asset performance conference every year and this year in 2023 we have it at uh October 25th and 26th in, taking place in Antwerp, Belgium. So we have, um, well, uh, 11 different tracks. Uh, we, we're focusing on digital transformation in operations and maintenance. We are uh, having a, a focus on sustainability, uh, human-centered innovations and, and innovative technologies. And of course, uh, one of the key topics also today is resilience and how uh, maintenance and asset management can contribute to that resilience in industry. Um, we have more more than 10 industrial cases that are being presented uh, from well-known companies as Audi, BSF, Procter Gamble, etc. Uh, we have also academic uh, presentations. So, and 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 on top of that, uh, four hand-on workshops, uh, and which one of them is also presented by IBM. By so that's interesting. Um, uh, next to the conference, there is also an evening event uh, where we have the asset performance of, of, of 4.0 award, and we have nine candidates participating. They are also presenting their cases. So uh, it's ArcelorMittal, BASF, Water Group, which is a water company. We have the Dubai municipality participating. We have Saudi Aramco participating, uh, US Steel. Uh, we have Van der Mortle, which is a food uh, producing company. Vensot is a service delivery. And also another water organization, water company is uh, Waterlink. So um, interesting competition there. Uh, all presenting their uh, improvement cases uh, thanks to digital transformation. Uh, and so um, uh, very interesting to attend at the award show at uh, October 25th in the evening, also taking place in Antwerp. Um, well, time to talk with you, Sven. And um, well, let's start maybe by, 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 by picking your mind a little bit on what do you see uh, happening in the boardrooms at operational organizations nowadays. And so, what 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 are the the primary goals today? The the interesting thing is that uh, a lot of them are still very much the same as they've been for for very many years. It's operational improvements, uh, effectiveness, cost controls, um, cost reduction is definitely a play. Energy um, management is is definitely high on the agenda. Um, then you have actually the whole um, artificial intelligence um, topic and sustainability, clearly sustainability. But then there's also risk compliance and regulatory compliance. So there's there's quite a plethora of, of challenges. However, there are also things such as logistic supply chain challenges. Um, this is specifically true where you're in a highly regulated industry, um, constantly looking at and worrying about um, uh, will something as straightforward as part delivery cause me a problem? Now, that is typically not something that I would expect a, a C-suite to worry about, but over the last two, three years, that has definitely become a topic, um, which which kind of suggests also that sort of the global um, the the global landscape is 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 of 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 interest at that level. Clearly, it is. Um, we're also seeing uh, quite a lot of investor involvement into um, the operational space, you know, how companies are performing and behaving. But all of those are really very typical. The, the, the atypical one is really the inventory coming in and logistics. 
Um, sustainability has been there for, for, as I say, for a couple of years. AI suddenly has really rocketed up as a, a as a key as a as a key uh, discussion item. In some industries where we are, uh, as I say, highly regulated, then it's also looking at the employee mix. Um, we talk a lot about aging workforce. Um, it is it is definitely something that I see quite quite frequently um, being uh, looked at, and and it's 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 about that sort of long term viability, and it, it's not a it's not about how do I deal with the people like me and <laughs> the oldies. It's about what knowledge they have and what what risk does that. Um, represent so it's very much a risk-based discussion. So yeah, the, those are those are very much the uh, the ones that are on the cards. Energy um, energy resilience that's another really quite interesting topic because again it's linked to sustainability and it's definitely risen as a as an important aspect. So those those are really the, them. Um, I would also say that the topics have expanded. Um, over the last uh, five, six years that are being uh, looked at and addressed. And I think that's a good thing. I think this this greater involvement in some of the operational decisions that typically would have been left elsewhere that are flowing into the, the sort of executive um, boardroom is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, listening to all those different challenges when yep. you combine them together, this is getting quite complex. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, we, we always talk about complexity in the operational space, and we somehow seem to think that that means that it, at the strategic level, it's somehow simplified. It's, 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 it's as co it compounds itself as it goes up in many ways. So, yes, there's a complexity in the operational environment and, and some of the initiatives that we're driving at that, or people are driving into, into that space. Um, it's no less complex, actually, at at the executive level, and I think the the, the pressures that are coming into that space um, really require um, a greater information sharing. Much, it's not about data sharing; it's about information sharing. The flow of of of, of communication backwards and forwards between the the executive suite and the the, the shop floors is much tighter today. I think there's definitely a requirement, but it also means that we are looking at individuals who are um, masters of lots of different disciplines. And we see that, for example, when you look at the, 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 the role evolution of, let's say, a CFO or even a CEO, they, they really juggle a lot of balls. It's not just, uh, as people seem to think, it's being a, yes, it's about being the public face, but they're involved in a lot of things. It's it's they're orchestrating a great many things. So yes, there's a complexity there. I think there's definitely, and it's grown over over time. And there there are articles that back that up within the Economist, for instance, have been looking at very much how the 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 executives have um, evolved what they do and how they cope, and and that is very much in line with what we're seeing. And it's a good, in many ways, it's a good thing because. It forces organizations to really understand what it is that's important to them, and they focus in on those those aspects that drive the greatest amount of um, value to to their clients so it's 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 not a a negative in any way it's just yeah. that the workload has increased yes I would yes. say.
Okay, and, and it's not just about making money anymore. There are much more considerations to be taken into account. That's right. I mean, they're, they're, it's, they, these are all levers in order to be remain profitable and increase margins. Um, yeah. But they, they, there are definitely, um, from a sustainability point of view, if you look at the ESG, you know, the, you have the environmental aspects. There's definitely a social aspect. And yes, there's the governance. We know about the governance. But if we look at social, for example, and let's take IBM, um, we ourselves measure not only um, what we do outside the so the, the, the communities we support or the um, academic institutions that our, um, IBM is involved with, but also voluntary activity. And it's part of the culture, if you will, of IBM that we not only um, are active members of, within the IBM community, but we are also active volunteer, voluntary members. And I think this is is something that, if you will, the ESG is brought in. So yes, the, the 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 executives will also be influenced by that because shareholders are expected. Um, other um, interested stakeholders are interested in not only what you're doing as as an organisation in your pursuit of, of of operational excellence, but they're also interested in these other factors, and these are very soft factors. And I think that's also um, quite a uh, a change over the last 20, well, in my case, maybe last 40 years. But anyway, let's keep it to, uh, to, to a central time frame in the last 20, 20 years. And um, it's, it, it is part and parcel of, of how we see also the workforces changing the way that they interact with their community and so on and so forth. So, yeah. It's it, it's not just about making money. I think that was the short answer to the very long one yeah. I've just given you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 well, well, but okay. And on top of that, sustainability. Okay. Yeah, uh, very much so. So you you have of course quite a lot of challenges in the energy front. Um, does, yes. Um, what does that mean? Uh, how how do you see that evolve? And and, and how how does that translate into the, the operational ground uh, and the, the workshop floor? Okay, I think I think we need to um, take this one in really two two aspects. There's the energy that an organisation uses and have as a committed goal to reduce in some fashion, and then there are and within that there are some um, large corporate programmes. So whether that is uh, self-generating and storing your your energy, uh, or whether that is leveraging um, um, green certificate for for energy consumption that's yeah. that's a corporate um, activity and that is in full swing and and rightly so and, and looking at uh, alternative energy sources and you see the rise of hydrogen that's that's very much that sort of corporate in the operational space what we're seeing is definitely a, a um, questions being asked around what are the processes that we run? How do we run those processes? And can we take um, process steps away that we would typically have put in, uh, you know, in, in in the old days where energy wasn't actually being um, looked at? And we are seeing um, um, line members or um, operating staff making decisions that actually have a positive impact on lowering the, the amount of energy that's being um, used within within the operational space. We see new technologies being introduced that are much more around the whole predictive maintenance, condition-based maintenance activities, which again have a positive impact because if I understand those assets, I can look at what's the, the most optimum 
operational rate. Sometimes it can be a little bit lower. It gets it drives that that outcome that I want. So I still get the quality product that gets delivered on time at the end of the line. We also are seeing people look at um, continuous improvement, where we we uh, take a process. And instead of trying to make every single individual process the best it possibly can, we 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 take a holistic end-to-end view. And some of the processes may be inefficient. We we can look at it and say, well, that's not a very efficient process. But in the context of where it is, I, the one preceding it and the one after it, it is the most efficient way of running the process. However, in in doing that and understanding the machines that or the line that's actually supporting that. You can start to um, gauge at what level those systems need to operate and run at. So there's definitely um, joining up of the dots taking place, where before it would have only been a single KPI on OEE efficiency or wh- whatever the OEE mark was, or in the um, or whatever the KPI is. Now it's it's broader. There are sustainable KPIs. There are energy KPIs that are in on on the on the shop floor. And all of these things are positive, but really are the easy things. So we, we're, we're really dealing with all of those um, easy uh, uh, challenges. And now what um, operational um, organizations are looking at is what are their own energy generation, battery storage, um, maybe it's equipment um, um, switch out that they have to perform in order to, to go to the next stage. Are there any other methods? Do we need to drop product lines? Do we need to maybe change the way the product line is, is is engineered? So we engineer for maintenance, engineer for sustainability, or, you know, the, the whole cradle to cradle approach. And energy is actually a very good one to start with. Now, there's another really interesting reason why energy is so, so important is because it's it's escalated as, as a cost item. So whereas before it might not have been so high on the agenda, now it's very much there. It's it, as I say, it's represented with KPIs. Uh, workforces are rewarded on energy-saving measures. Um, there's a cultural change that looks at how energy is leveraged at the operational space. Yes. So these are these these are some of the things that we're saying. And, and of course, by reducing energy consumption, you're also reducing uh, or you're, you're having a positive impact on sustainability. Of course, also. So that's uh, as long as you report it. Yes. Well, well, uh, that's well, as long as you report it. That's something inter- uh, very important. Yeah. So, but what we're also saying is that people, uh, you see, here's the interesting thing: so we, when you're talking with engineers, they they often don't see what they do or the technical staff and even the operational staff often don't see that what they're doing actually is something that aligns to a corporate strategy. Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect between those two, and and it, it, it's interesting when you have these conversations around um, asset optimization that when you bring in the word sustainability or why is that not reported or do you report it or how do you report it they always look at you rather blankly and say well why should I report it it's 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 an operational improvement it's it's making the process better and and the answer to that is yes it is that is its primary function that's absolutely true but it also has a secondary function it has a secondary benefit so that needs to be captured it needs to be um, it somehow needs to find its way through to those people who are reporting on 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 these things um the, the other aspect is that a lot of the operational people seem to be very shy about the impact that they're having themselves 
on delivering the corporate outcome. I think there's definitely uh, an army of people out in the in, in in the workforce that do brilliant things, but are somehow shy of telling people how brilliant they really are and what they're doing. The 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 it's not just about energy saving. It's about how do you drive uh, asset optimization and keep assets running for the longest period of time. We see people who are fantastic foragers for parts. You know, with there's a company I know where they they still run very very old PLC fives, for example, and their sourcing teams are brilliant, absolutely inspired as to how they get spare parts. And all of these these people that do these things are they believe they're doing the right thing for their organization. That's absolutely true. But they're also doing brilliant things for keeping what are already um, asset neutral parts. Well, as, as asset neutral as they probably can be, they are probably inefficient because there's a definite inefficiency curve there. But let's take it from a point of view that says these are capital assets, they've still got a fair amount of life left in them, yeah. and they keep them running. And they keep them running at a really impressive uh, rate. But they're very shy. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they they lack that communication or yeah, desire okay. to communicate. So yeah, yeah, and and you, you, there is a need from the executive level to 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 also be in, being informed to know what is happening to be able yeah. to communicate on that about that to be able to report about that. So uh, we need to go into um, well, what 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 we can call maybe a, a more intelligent asset management. As part of a strategy, yes, I absolutely agree with you. There, I, yeah, clearly, as I said right at the very beginning, I, I belong to a group that talks about intelligent asset management. And really what we're talking about there is is deploying the, the strategies that we've been talking for 20, 30 years around going from break, fix or run to fail all the way through to prescriptive maintenance and having all of those really interesting strategies from condition to predictive to whatever, whatever the, the, the latest strategy is. Each one of those relies on um, additional capabilities, whether that's connected systems um, and connected systems being, obviously, we, we went through the IoT phase. We're still very much in that. And I think it's, it, even though people don't seem to talk about it, it is delivering quite interesting results. But connecting our assets, getting a better understanding of what those assets do, how they behave under load, how do they actually interact with the, the processes that are being uh, demanded of them. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that because there's some some very interesting characteristics that people think they know about their assets that they really don't know um, um, what's going on. All the way through to, let's say, using uh, deep learning algorithms or machine learning algorithms to understand when an asset's going to fail. So yes, absolutely, intelligent asset management is, is, is very much a technique, but it, it requires multiple strategies to be followed. It's not saying that every single asset will be a prescriptive under prescriptive maintenance. That's that's not what this is about. It's about really under, understanding our asset estate as fully and as completely as we can, and then making operational decisions based on the evidence. So we talk about science-based uh, targets with sustainability. When we look at continuous improvement, again, it's all about the evidence. It's about the data that we have. It's about what it is that we, you know, when we do a shift handover from one shift to another, a lot of information is passed across to the the uh, the, the new shift. So these things are happening already. It's now leveraging the um, that connected digital infrastructure. And I know digital have been around for very many years and um, I spoke with uh, uh, an executive a couple of years back where he, he, he was very candid and he said that 
up to now, we've had digital manual systems with the emphasis on manual. So we had lots of digital silos with manual process in between. And the goal was to move to a little manual, but greatly more digital. So more of a digital system with 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 um, with um, manual supervision or human supervision. So there's definitely a shift to inter interlink all of these different systems, and and that's part of an intelligent asset management strategy. It's also leveraging this um, artificial artificial intelligence construct that everybody talks about. I tend to use the you know the terms of ML and um, deep learning, machine learning, deep learning as as a way of 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 talking about this topic because AI always has this rather scary view of the world and uh, and and in reality it's it's much more of an augmented support. So um, especially when we talk about intelligent asset management. It is very much about how we can leverage that technology to assist, whether it's the operators of, of a particular cell or whether that is the uh, plant supervisor or if that's extra fact, the, uh, the, 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 the chief operating officer. How yeah. do we assist them, not yeah. okay. how do we take over the role? Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and that's maybe interesting. Can, can you give some concrete examples on, 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 on what such an AI system could deliver when it's connected to this, all this data that is there already and available already, I, I think the I think the funny thing is uh, it's it's what it already st is delivering in many cases. I think if I look at um, condition monitoring, for example, where we would leverage I don't know, let's say it's an unsupervised anomaly model, where the the model itself is 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 identifying multiple. Uh, data points within a with an event stream that's coming from the from a system to to be able to uh, indicate to an operator to maybe slow down uh, maybe that's the easiest and simplest uh, way of doing it. it's not to say that they should do stop doing what they're doing but it's just it's it 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 the 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 rate of 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 activity is not necessary or it could be that we're talking about um a change in the maintenance cycle it, again, something fairly straightforward, something fairly easy. So instead of going from a um, 10,000 cycles to, it could be saying, well, actually, in this case, I need to go to 8,000 cycles. And maybe under a different load, it could be um, 10,000 cycles. Or in process industry, it could be, and it is being used to identify the uh, cleaning uh, schedules between <clears throat> batch runs. But also importantly, in, in their industry is actual fact, are there any problems that we can potentially see in the batch schedule so we can swap the schedules around? So instead of having a long running batch process that potentially could fail halfway through, <clears throat> excuse me, halfway through, we actually um, change the schedule. So we put a short one in, do some maintenance as we do the cleaning, and then put the long one, uh, long running process in. So we, we, we're seeing those kind of activities coming through. Um, yeah. So it's it's not necessarily that, and, and again, I find this really interesting. People say that these are things that could happen. They're actually things that are happening. Also, another one that I I personally like is leveraging technology such as this for um, worker safety. You know, um, preventing forklift truck collisions or the um, the just-in-time delivery of parts to uh, sell and 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 potential human human machine collision. So I'm I'm a very big believer that if I can start to predict 
where some of the hotspots are and how these the the humans will interact with and and the machines interact with that in that space can i start to st indicate and show that there are these potential collisions so what i'm doing there is not only am i looking at the technology to to improve let's say the effectiveness of a machine but i'm also looking at it from a human factors how do i keep them safe because shop floors tend to be by the very nature quite um Hazardous maybe is a strong word, but it, it, it is a hazardous environment. There's a, lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of movement. And um, if I can leverage something like a um, an intelligent AI-driven solution or machine learn uh, machine learning unsupervised uh, learning solution into that space, then that's the, that's a benefit. Another area that we're seeing it, um, and this is actually where a lot of um, a lot of the time that I have is in robotics. How do we leverage robotics to be able to do a walk-around inspection where it's an autonomous walk-around inspection? So let's say a system has a work order. The work order then says, okay, robotic system A, go and do your initial walk-around because I have a particular problem in the sector. They can do the walk-around, do the initial triage on that sector, come back. And now when I provide that work order to the next person in the assignment list, I, me as a, as a maintenance engineer, I have much more information about the context. I have a, a, an indication of the initial triage that's been taking, taking place. I can then bring in tooling and parts that may not necessarily be stated on the work order or the, 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 the job plan. And so I'm much more efficient and much more effective. Yeah. So it's some things we're already doing. Some things we should be doing. Other things people are exploring, and, and robotic systems are, are are one. Yes, of course. And in this uh, in today's world of, of a generative AI, without any doubt, you get often the question: eh, what, what does generative AI means for my maintenance department? What can I do? Um, have you ever already talked about that? And, and, and people ask can about Can you it, share yes. some ideas from, uh, with us? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think this is a it's a this is a really fascinating area. Now, we there's an awful lot of scare stories in in, in and around generative AI, and um, and and the, they will continue because that's that follows that that concept of the scary AI. But really, in 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 the world that we live in, um, from a maintenance point of view, I think it's actually fact more the ability to. To, to gain insight, to glean insights from a vast amount of data that's available to us. Um, a lot of, we as, as humans are exceptionally good at seeing patterns of, of within, within data, but we tend to look at those bits of data that we are familiar with. And what I'm finding interesting is, can I use a generative AI to give me an insight that I wasn't aware of? Now, I still have the ability to look at that and say, no, that's not quite right. You know, that's not that's not actually what the problem is, but it's a very interesting perception that I hadn't thought about. Okay, so maybe there's something there that I need to go and investi investigate. And it's because it's taking data from data sources or from uh, making connections to um, areas that traditionally we would not have looked at. Doesn't mean that it's actually an unsound or an unadvised activity. It, it it just means that historically we we've excluded it for whatever reason. Maybe somebody told us that that data set wasn't very good or this evidence wasn't really suitable. And and maybe at first glance 
we would have actually agreed because it didn't fit our expectation of what we expected out of that information source. So using generative AI enables me to see a context that I may not have drawn. And that then leads me to say, okay, I can now go and explore that in more detail if I need to, or if I find it interesting. And then maybe there is a correlation there that I can that I can take away and, and bring into into my 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 world. So generative AI for me is is very much a tool to help me get through a vast amount of data very quickly in in order to get to maybe salient points that I've asked for. That's one aspect. Another aspect is really to also give me a, a hand in identifying the the tasks and the operations that are required. Not every task is required. We talked about earlier about you know condition monitoring as well as predictive maintenance. All of these are lots of signals, lots of flashing lights to say, I'm important, look at me, look at me. And there's a lot of complexity in that space that we talked right at the very beginning. And sometimes it's important to cut through that and actually really get a prioritized list. Um, and, and again, it might not be what we would believe is the prioritized list. And there's an example that I have, which um, <clears throat> I was talking to an, um, an industry colleague of mine, and we were talking about predictive maintenance. We, 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 we said, well, what happens if a predictive maintenance gives, um, algorithm gives you a prioritized list of tasks? And the chap says, yeah, I'd, I'd look at it. It might be very interesting, and it'd probably be very accurate. And I said, yeah, okay, that's very nice. But um, you sound on, you know, you're sitting on the fence here. He said, oh, yeah, well, I don't get paid on that list. I get paid on this list. And and I said, well, what's that list? He says, well, that's the list my management give me of the priorities that I need to deal with. And therefore, I may see all of these items on your um, AI-generated list as being highly important to me. Because I know from uh, from from working that space that those are the things that are going to fail, but this is the list I get you know judged on. So which one am I going to work on? I'm going to work on the one I get judged on. However, if I then use a generative AI approach, I could maybe come up with an argument as to why I should be working these as to those. That's more than just saying these are things I get measured. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's it's yeah. it's. It's very easy to get into that habit of saying, "Oh, it's going to do me out of a job." It 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 it, it really is not what that's about. It's about understanding the context, and from that context, being able to say, "Yeah, this is what what we're going to do." Okay, and of course, uh, all of this uh, depends and 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 sits on a good data quality and a good data delivery. Uh, yes. Now we need to be careful what we mean by good. Good. So yeah. to, when people normally think about good, it's it's excellent. Um, yeah. Companies spend a lot of time um, worrying about the fact that their data is poor um, in their mind. And and yes, data can always be better. But it's surprising how how little data you need in order to actually get quite respectable results coming out. So for example, let's say computer vision, which is a topic that I'm currently um, quite deep in. Uh, um, when, when I bring up the topic of computer vision, they, I'm always told I need five to 6,000 images and so on and so forth. And and, and potentially, yeah, okay, I, I, I get that. But, but there are techniques that you can use where I can start off with 100 images. So I was doing a piece of work around worker safety and 
we had uh, 75 images and using an augmentation technique, a, a, a machine learning technique, we turned that or I turned that into five and a half thousand images. So yes, the, the, the people who were telling me I need five and a half thousand images were right, but I didn't start with that. I started with you know around 70, 75 images. And then when I trained the model, it was, was really interesting how accurate it was in, in, in a slightly different context to, to the one I trained it in. So I think there is definitely I think there's definitely this 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 idea that um, how can I put it? Yeah. <laughs> you, you need this excellence, so you're you're waiting until you have high quality data, then That's you're doing right. nothing, and then you're That's not right. leveraging that data. So you have a, you need to break into that circle in order to not start start or stop waiting and and start that, acting and doing is that what you want to say that, that's exactly right that, that 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 you actually put it so much nicer than i was going to put it that's why i sort of stumbled around the whole how do i bring that 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 thing in and actually yeah. it bears it bears um um it is it, it is it's it, the it's not just an anecdotal evidence it's actually um supported by surveys that we and others have done that most of the data that we collect is just stored we don't actually do anything with it because we somehow believe good is something else than what we currently have yeah. um and and my view is exactly you, what 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 you just expressed which is let's give it a go let's see what we have and maybe what we have is actually more than we need for what it is that we are trying to achieve. So uh, a project I did um, a couple of years back was looking at rotating assets and understanding how those assets behave and can we actually see bearing failure on the front shaft of the rotating asset. And what we looked at was temperature. Yes, we had vibration, we had an accelerometer, um, and we also took the three phase. And it was really amazing what we discovered about that particular set of assets, how they behaved, how they were impacted by weather, how they were impacted by load. And it was not what we expected. So when we looked at the telemetry data that we got from the inbuilt sensors, told a very different story to these very simple add-ons that were put against the assets. And my, my view is we have plenty of data. You know, data is something that we have. We are often process rich and data poor. What I mean by that, processes will run regardless of the data we collect. And we very rarely look at the data in order to uh, take a view of the process. And, and I think we need to understand that this data is flowing, start to analyze it, whether it's statistical methods or whether it's using something more sophisticated. But let's just start. Let's look at what we have. Let's explore it. And and the other thing is, let's also look for other data silos that we may not know about, because there's just like there's information silos, there's also telemetry data silos, and plenty of them. Um, they're on people's machines. They're on cell um, workstations. They are all over the place. There's every there's, measurement device. Huh? <laughs> every measurement device. That's exactly right. And mobile phones. And there's a, there's a plethora of data sources out there that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the, day, the data stored in an enterprise asset management system? Uh, so, as you have also IBM Maximo, of course. Uh, yes. So, yes. Um, uh, how, how about that data? Is that useful for, for, oh, very for much so. generative AI uh, and, and 
Well, actually, let's go the other way. Is it very useful for statistical methods, for condition methods, um, um, condition monitoring, and also predictive maintenance? Because you must make it predictive maintenance uses machine learning algorithms. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a form of AI. Uh, the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, we have uh, you have um, asset history, you have work order history, you have failure conditions. You again, it comes down to how you've reported these things. But let's say that we've reported them reasonably okay, not brilliantly, but reasonably okay. There's a lot of material there that we can use and um, take a view on when it comes to training models especially when we're applying those models against event streams, you know, uh, the flowing data from the telemetry systems. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is that a, um, uh, an EAM solution or um, an asset lifecycle management solution doesn't sit in isolation. It sits in a context. There are other systems involved. There are, um, as I said earlier, PLCs at one end. There are MESs involved. So uh, from an execution point of view, there are also inventory systems involved. Now, when we look at generative AI, you can say, okay, well, I've just mentioned things that are very specific to the asset management domain. But now when you look at generative AI, you can actually go a little bit broader and you can start to say, is there a relationship between this particular asset maintenance strategy that we have over here with the inventory draw that we have with the procurement interaction with the MES schedules and start to see potential uh, patterns of behavior and, and therefore, as I said earlier, around that ability to, to take multiple data sources and summarize it in a particular way. That, in my opinion, is, is, is quite a good use case where I'm, I'm not going to say the um, asset management solution is at the center of it, but it is one of those systems that you would draw information from. Yeah. And, and if it is a silo of is in isolation, then I need to, we probably need to come in and have a conversation because it really shouldn't be. There should be lots of interactions with other systems, and those other systems have data that we can use, and therefore it's it's all fair game when it comes to something like a generative AI or actually any AI um, methodology, whether that's you know right at the very entry into it or whether that's into the sort of you know generative AI domain. I think it's all um, it's all fair game when it comes to data sources. Yeah, yeah. so I definitely think a system like Maximo or a another SAPs or info whoever it happens to be they're all good good sources and they're fair game for uh, um, AI yeah okay so <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know, there we have the dream okay it's not a dream it's a reality today uh, all these things that you're talking have been talking about are, yeah. are happening today are possible today um, uh, organization get more and more practice in, in, in implementing it also, I, I guess. Uh? Yes. Uh, so that's that's happening. Um, on the other hand, of course, uh, we have a reality. Uh, you already touched it in the introduction. Uh, we have a reality of an aging workforce, an aging asset base. So uh, how do you connect this 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 interesting and and bright future with this reality of today? of this aging workforce and uh, assets. Yes, and that's actually, uh, and then and then also um, workplace safety comes into into that same mix. Um, I think I think the the approach that we are uh, we have explored and continue to explore is this idea of collaborative um, AI. This this idea, how do I collaborate in in uh, using expert systems? So we we believe that. 
people have been talking about knowledge bases for for years and years and years. You know, where we take all the documents and we we have um, fuzzy logic or natural language searching or whatever it happens to be. Um, our view is we, you need to add into that also collaborative sessions. So if I, let's say, am a, a, a junior employee, can I actually engage with somebody who's more senior or more experienced? Doesn't have to be senior; it can be more experienced. And uh, they may not even be anymore in the workforce. They could also be recently retired. And do it in a way that is, um, let's say, um, technology native. I there's a there's a tablet or phone. It's very pictorial. I can point it at something open up a stream to another individual, talk through and share ideas and share documentation uh, within that session and have that other person validate or actually correct or guide or do something. And then when that session is complete, be able to take the whole of that, wrap it up as, as an item of knowledge. Now it's obviously an interactive, often video, audio, different data sources, maybe there's also web interaction that comes into it but wrap it all up and drop it into the same expert system so that when i as a as an operator come in and say oh i've been assigned this work order it's it it's been 18 months this typically happens to me it's been 18 months since i last saw that particular type of issue what do i do so i obviously interact with the expert system and it it gives me uh, an idea that yes you're about to replace the flange but really take care about the 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 seal um, or the gasket, um, and and hear some knowledge articles about the gasket that you need to be taking to, taking a closer look at. But then I spot that there is actual fact a a whole um, collaborative interaction. I can then watch that. I can hear what's being said, and I can see what's being um, drawn up at different stages. And maybe I learn far more from that snippet than I would from reading the data sheet. I then can go back to the data sheet and pick that up. So in that way, what we're effectively doing is using technology and using these um, algorithms and these 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 advanced AI techniques to bring that that knowledge into a, a very natural way into the the corpus that the the organisation leverages. So that's that's one way I see that taking place. Another mm-hmm. way is is really um, leveraging that whole predictive and prescriptive approach. Uh, uh, prescriptive is always a horrible word because that sort of suggests that it's telling me what to do. I, I would actually always argue that it's more of a guide because as humans, we can still ignore it. There's no reason why I have to take the advice of an, of an expert system. But at least I, I have a reference point and I can then make up my own judgment based on my experience. So I think there is definitely a way for us to interact with that knowledge base and it's not a digital knowledge base i'm talking about that that human you know pe- people like me or or or, or 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 similar and and also the other thing that we need to be very mindful of here is that some of that knowledge could actually be in the people we're just bringing into the organization because as i said right at the beginning it could be me as a as a digital migrant in this instance sort of coming into the digital era not understanding something and my expert interaction will be actually with, let's say, somebody who's just come in from an apprenticeship scheme because they are much more versed in that in that technology area and they can then interact with me. So it's not always about the aging workforce that's just going out the door that has the knowledge. It could also be the aging workforce like myself 
interacting in a collaborative session and getting information from new entrants in. So it's it's both ends of the spectrum that we, and often we only see the one, but it's actually both that we, how do we do that? And I believe that these kind of um, techniques are, um, are really quite important. Sorry, okay. it, 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 it's, yes. it's leveraging that technology for both those yeah, kinds yeah, of and, aspects. And thank you for this inspiration. And I've never heard about this possibility so of having these interviews and, 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 and using that as an input for generative AI system and, 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 and learning from that is a bright idea. So thank you for that. Um, there is another aspect. Um, so you've talked about the aging workforce. Uh, yes. l- let's talk about the aging assets. Huh? Do we oh, yes. really need to, to upgrade them uh, in order and equipment with, equip them right. with a lot of sensors, etc., in order to be able to start with uh, using AI and, and using predictive algorithms, etc.? It's 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 I think it's one of those really um, challenging uh, questions because there's, there, there is an argument to say that if I upgrade a piece of equipment, it is going to be more energy efficient because obviously some of the techniques that we have are, are definitely, uh, it, it, it definitely would give us a benefit. However, what we don't do is we don't look at the invested carbon that's already in that piece of equipment. And if we really look at it hard, we would probably take the equipment and push it to landfill. We don't really reuse or repurpose or recycle the 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 the, the assets. Some do, but on on the whole, they tend to get scrapped or thrown. Um, so one one of the things that and and the problem is also one that the vast majority of the assets we have are going to be in that sort of older category. You know, if I look at buildings, if I look at some of the player, uh, machine rooms that I go to. Um, Really fascinating how they managed to keep these assets going. Brilliant. So retrofit is definitely something that we see is it's happening out there. People are upgrading 40-year-old pieces of equipment with latest um, control systems. I think that's brilliant. I, I like that idea. I like the idea that we also look at can we, through these control systems, run these machines more efficiently, more effectively? And the answer is potentially yes, we can. Um, we see a lot of reconditioning taking place, which is good. And we're seeing robotic systems go in where you, it isn't really feasible to um, instrument a system and do those regular walk-around inspections, as I said earlier, yeah. um, which would typically be given to um, a person to do, we can actually give to a robotic system to do. Now, that does not mean that we're, we're getting rid of the human in that instance. What we're doing is we're actually taking the instrumentation to the asset. So that's that's fundamentally what's what's happening in that type of scenario, and it's very similar to a retrofit. The only thing is the the retrofit is onto a machine that happens to go and explore the environment and take those readings. Yeah. Um, and it and it also comes down to something really important that says, do I need that high frequency data from these systems? Is it you know we've relied on a point in time reading from these 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 systems for for years and years and years, and it gives us a good feel for what's happening with that system. If we go then to a, uh, a connected environment, are we just adding to that data mountain that we, we, we have, where we take relatively high frequency data points and never really look at them? So having, having uh, remote systems that are autonomous, that have the ability to do uh, collision avoidance, that have the ability to use both telemetry and uh, visual cues, yeah. I think is, is definitely something that we should be exploring. So aging assets, um, invested assets are 
becoming digital, but not necessarily in the way that we would expect, which is either through replacement or wholesale um, uh, retrofitting. We also have these other techniques that are being deployed very effectively. Very yes. effectively. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're talking about that there's a, a huge amount of carbon already investment invested in these uh, equipments. Yeah. So, uh, from sustainable uh, sustainability point of view, it's not very. Um, uh, it's, it's not very smart to just replace them, and we, we really need to extend those lives. Uh, and 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 do you think that uh, by extending this life, uh, we, we do also contribute to a sustainability goal? And should we report about that? And how how, yeah. how do you see that? Is that would that be possible to report about it and and see it as a sustainability <laughs> contribution? I'm sure. I'm sure it, it, it definitely can. Is it a contribution? Yes, if it's done in the correct way. I think if it's a, a you know if it's a if it's a um, a huge blast furnace. Okay, that's that's one end. But let's let's take the carbon element out of it. Let's say it is a consumer of of energy, uh, and let's say it is a perfectly okay um, milling machine. And and by the way. Digital milling, uh, you know, CNC milling machines have been around uh, a, a long time, and if they are the more modern end of the spectrum, they are more efficient. I get all that, and they mill to closer tolerances. But let's say this is a general first-pass mill, um, and we then let's say do some 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 replacements against it. Let's say we put some um, a better milling head, and let's say also we change the motors out and the control systems out. Okay. Have we changed the entire machine in that instance? Yes, all the mechanical parts, but it's still in the old frame. I think the answer is yes to to the question because it comes then down to if we replace it with um, good quality parts that last longer and are already uh, have a level of efficiency against them, then yes, I think we can report against it. But if we do what um, procurement sometimes forces us to do, which goes to the lowest cost option, then potentially it's better to go and buy new because really whilst we do the overhaul on a piece of equipment, we might be using substandard components that then burn out and they go to e-waste and then we just keep replacing them with these 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 cheaper skew items that then go to e-waste. That is not a sustainable approach. And yes, okay, it's keeping the asset lasting longer and yes, it's, it, you know, we, we, we're protecting all that um, uh, carbon that's invested. But in doing so, we're throwing all this stuff into e-waste and, and landfill. So that, that kind of scenario doesn't work. But if we do it in a way that says we actually improve the materiality of that unit, in other words, we make it better than it was before we um, started the overhaul, then I think the, it's definitely something we should be looking at and definitely something we should be reporting against. Yeah, We do it with buildings already. I mean, we're, we're making a lot of the existing stock that we have we're improving it. You, when you look in the cityscape, it's it's often you'll see a building in a skeleton format where it's the, the, the facade has been taken away and then they rebuild the entire structure and all of a sudden you have a very highly efficient, very digital unit. But the, the core of it, the foundations and the actual structure yeah. is still the old building. Um, so we see it being done. Um, yeah, it just it's just how we do it. So that's 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 the answer on that one, I think. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, I guess um, we have covered the idea of uh, of uh, uh, asset management and and and, and operational yeah. management in the age of uh, AI. Of AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, th- 
Thank you very much, Sven, uh, for your Thank insights, you. for sharing your thoughts. And uh, as a matter of fact, you will be presenting also at the Asset Performance Conference. Yes, I look forward to it, actually. Yeah, presenting a session on um, on October 26th, 9 a.m. So uh, people willing to interact with you, uh, hearing your thoughts about what are you going to talk about, uh, Sven? Well, it's actually this, this particular topic. I think, uh, if I remember rightly, it's uh, sustainability and AI and operational efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah, okay. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. So then, then we will learn more and can be able to learn more about this. And then you're also presenting or, or giving a workshop at the conference yeah. uh, following your presentation there. And then you're going to talk about computer vision. Yes, as it applies to uh, maintenance and uh, driving a consistent maintenance outcome. So, yes, we will be looking at computer vision deep learning. Yeah, and, and, and as it is a, a workshop, it's quite hands-on. People will be able to see what is happening, how does it work, etc. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into the weeds and uh, hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully it will be of interest. Yeah, well, it's a one and a half hour session, so uh, oh, yeah. without any doubt, very interesting. So uh, by that, uh, I thank you, Sven, for for being here, and uh, to the listeners, uh, let's let, let's meet each other at the next podcast. <laughs>